Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. pandemic has created an increased focus on the life science arena, as we've all felt the firsthand destructive power of disease and the resilience of diagnostic testing, therapeutics, and vaccines. We've also seen an explosion of telemedicine and the consumerization of health with at-home testing and direct-to-consumer products. These trends have been accelerating for years, and many are now calling the 21st century the biocentury. This is of keen interest to me, given my roles as both a life science executive and early-stage investor. Texas, and Austin in particular, has an opportunity to ride that wave forward. Today, we're going to take a deeper look into this part of our ecosystem and try to better understand where Austin's life science industry comes from and where it's going. Joining us is Scott Collins, the president of BioAustin CTX. Dr. Collins is an accomplished forward-looking CEO with over 25 years of cross-industry experience spanning technology development to M&A. He enjoys working with companies, innovators, and organizations in order to identify and then execute plans to bring new technology and ideas more quickly to the market particularly technologies that keep us healthy or fix us when we're not. Scott earned three degrees from UT Austin. The most recent was a PhD in biomedical engineering. Throughout his life, he's been drawn to solving big problems, first as an inventor, then an entrepreneur, and now as a leader. He enjoys using his multidisciplinary experience with teams of great people to overcome ch major challenges, technical, operational, and financial. Scott has been on the board of BioAustin since 2013 and assumed the role of president this past December. He's the senior advisor to the Austin Innovation Group, and holds several other board advisory roles, working with TMC, Mass Challenge, TexGDHS, and the Methuselah Foundation. His motto is making the impossible reality. Scott, welcome to Austin Next. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about BioAustin. Thank you so much for joining us and being part of the podcast. First off, Scott, can you describe BioCTX and its goals? Sure. Uh, to describe it, it's probably a little bit uh, easier to kind of give a context of, of why we're here. We have a lot of great companies in biotechnology here in Austin in the central Texas area. We have great innovators, great ideas, but historically we haven't been an epicenter for biotech innovation. Uh, when we started, uh, or when I started my first position out of college many years ago, I worked for a company in Northwest Austin called Arrhythmia Research Technology. Uh, it was an incredible experience and it helped me really focus the idea of using technology to help people. At the time, the biotech scene, um, as I knew it anyway, was primarily orthopedics and cardiology companies, generally spread kind of in Northwest Austin. Fast forward a few decades, and nowadays, the diversity of biotech companies has exploded. Uh, however, you may never know it. Companies are spread throughout the region, and there's no large epicenter of these companies in any particular area. This is actually why we uh, rebranded BioAustin to BioAustin CTX to include the entire Central Texas region. Uh, but BioAustin was uh, formed originally by Bruce Leander and others through the Chamber of Commerce in the 2000s, I think it was. It had a lot of goals, but really wasn't able to thrive in that context. With Bruce, we spun it out in 2013 and immediate, immediately found a need for uh, what we do now. So what does BioAustin do? We create that water cooler effect for biotech and life science companies. To give context, I've been an entrepreneur in Austin for decades. When I started, people didn't really know what an entrepreneur was. And through the years, it's called on. Uh, but Austin is unique. Here, people help each other out. Well, this is true for internet and uh, software companies. 
but we haven't seen it much in the life science community. And the reasons seemed obvious. The companies were spread out all over the place. And um, many of the companies were small and didn't really have the opportunity to talk to each other on a regular basis. Uh, that, that water cooler effect is one of the reasons Silicon Valley has done so well in the past. And um, don't like to compare ourselves to them, but um, we are gonna do things different and better, I think, as we go forward. Uh, so what BioAustin has done to help solve this issue and, and try to bring everything together is we started off with uh, a BioBash. A BioBash is an event where we invite the life science community uh, together to basically create and spur collaborations and, and, and talking to create that water cooler effect. We'll have a couple of presentations, maybe 20 minutes, and then several hours of networking. Uh, at our first event, there was such a hunger for what we were doing, we had about 250 people show up. And this has continued generally twice a year ever since that point. Uh, we also have a number of lunch and learns uh, periodically that um, cover specific topics for a subsection of the biotech community. We do a little bit of education, but basically what we do is we bring people together to harness the power of uh, people working together to solve problems. You know, an interesting thing is there's not a whole lot of competition in the Austin area, in the biotech era, uh, scene. So people can help each other. Instead of everyone learning, how do you deal with regulatory? How do you deal with the specific legalities of some of the biotech companies? They can come together and share that information. Austin's great at that. It's, it's great in biotech now. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing it explode. I guess another thing, we have a newsletter as well that goes out and it's free to anyone that wants to subscribe that kind of goes on uh, what we're doing, what many other groups like uh, Texas uh, Medical Device Alliance, who co-sponsors that um, uh, newsletter with us, um, are doing. And it's a great way to keep an eye on the pulse of, of the biotech scene here in Austin, because you may never know it's here otherwise. I think the concept of the water cooler is great. We've talked before about uh, Austin and the the mortar, if you will, the, the ability to network between organizations and collaborate. And that's just so important. And I, I love your uh, comment about Silicon Valley. We, we talk about you know not being the next Silicon Valley, but being the first Austin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true in, in terms of what you guys are doing. You started out by describing how Austin was orthopedics and cardiac What's changed? What are, what are the sectors that are strong now within the life sciences segment in Austin? Well, you know, that's a good question. And it is um, incredibly diverse. Um, we probably, so we've, we've been trying to survey that information and find out what everybody is doing. And this has become a much larger project than we ever thought it would be. But yeah, I'm kind of looking at the pulse of where we are now, there's probably between 200 and 300 companies that you would qualify in the biotechnology space. And um, they're all over the place. Just some of the things I, I noted the other day, we have therapeutics, bioprinting, various delivery devices to deliver drugs and pharma to patients. We still have orthopedics and cardiology. Uh, we have a number of companies, obviously, that have sprung up uh, related to COVID and diagnostics in general, medical lab services, tools for surgery, uh, diagnostics, monitoring, instrumentation, regenerative medicine, bioinformatics. A lot have recently spun up and become, or, or have, have already been here, but have become more recognized related to dealing with patients that aren't in the office with the doctor, doing that telemedicine. This is something that really started up several years before the pandemic, but really got a lot of acceleration at that point. Modeling, telehealth, um, neurointerfaces. We had a company here in Austin a long time before Elon Musk's um, uh, Neuralink came in called um, uh, Paradromics, and they recently received, I think, about 20 million of funding uh, last month. 
really a lot of that stuff has been here. We're getting more recognition and the funding is really starting to come in, which is, which is long overdue. There you go. You've described the, the breadth of the industry here in Austin. And if you had to pick out the companies that are really leading Austin's uh, evolving life sciences industry, who would you talk about? You know, that's a real hard question to answer. Um, there are so many companies doing so many things in so many areas, but um, a couple that come top of mind uh, just because of, of some of the transitions they've made. One company that's been here for a long time that I've, I've liked is a company called Luminex. Uh, they're kind of an instrumentation space and they took a concept that was used in the lab where you can run cells through a laser and find out what type of cells those are. You can find out characteristics of the cells, and it helps in, in doing a lot of research. They took that concept and uh, created a synthetic way of sending beads through the laser that allowed them to now put those beads in, say, a, a vat of blood or urine or something like that. And instead of doing one test, each bead became a test. So they're able to do hundreds of tests, multiplex, and do a lot of things at once. Luminex creates the tools, and a lot of groups have used those tools for various um, therapeutic things. You know, hospitals use them and, and companies spun out that um, provide a test around them. They got a little bit into the COVID testing um, over the last year, and they have been recently been bought out. So they were bought out for $1.8 billion. Um, I'm not sure if that's fully closed uh, at this point in time, but um, they did pretty well. Um, another company that has been in the news a lot is Everlywell. So Everlywell has a diagnostic kind of a mail order diagnostic test, go to them directly instead of going to your doctor idea. I think what it does very well is it adds convenience to healthcare. And I think that's one of the things healthcare has been devoid of for way too long. It's, it's difficult to schedule an appointment and, and go through the bureaucracy of becoming a patient to get an answer. Uh, they, they open that up. They're by far not the first one. They're not even the first one in Austin that has done this, but they've done something well. There's a secret sauce that they have. And I think uh, part of it might've been some of the publicity in COVID but um, they are one of the Austin unicorns. They have uh, over a $2 billion valuation right now, I think it is. And um, you know they've been willing to take chances and do what needed to be done um, based on the pandemic and other things. There's so many other ones uh, too. You know, Austin is, is bifurcated in a way. We have a whole lot of earlier startups with doing a lot of incredible things. And um, unfortunately, a lot of them, in historically anyway, have had to leave Austin to thrive. They have had to go closer to the funding and, and those ecosystems. I think we're going to start keeping them now. You know, we've really had a shift in, in the way a lot of this has worked in the past. And it's interesting, right? Because I think when, you know, when we were first coming to Austin and kind of exploring and kind of hearing through the grapevine, like, you know, that the life science sector here was nascent, and I'll use that term kind of loosely, right? And what does that mean? And the funding and the levels. And it's been interesting in the nine months and just the companies you mentioned, the nine months that I've been here, the maturity level has been at a rapid pace and clearly hitting some sort of inflection point. As you mentioned, right, we had a billion dollar exit with Luminex, you know, Assurgen got bought, mm -hmm. Everly Well became Everly Health with their not only reaching unicorn status, but then buying, actually now being the acquirer of other companies as well. And just the funding, I mean, you said Paradromics with 20 million, you had Wheel with, I think, 50 million, Babson Diagnostics with 30 million. So you have these, you know, multi, uh, multi, tens of millions of dollars funding, which to your point is, it's, we're now getting from going into the startup spaces to the growth space of these kind of companies. And it's really kind of hitting that interesting point. And I kind of want to circle back a bit to your, you know, your point about all of the diversity, you said bioprinting, the neurotech, all this kind of stuff. 
how do you see this maturity uh, in Austin right now? Where are we, you know, where are we out of that kind of inflection point? And- well, I, I think, you know, if, if you go back two years, biotech was rarely in the news, you know, maybe a couple of times a year and uh, you didn't hear a lot of it. So, the, you know, the pandemic has helped bring exposure to some of the, the power of the biotech industry and the need for it. But, um, but largely, it was hard. You know, five years ago, uh, I was working with a startup and it was hard to bring the funding in to keep the company going. So you, there were a number of pivots that based upon what was available. One of the, the interesting things about Austin and the area in general is people generally like it and they want to stay here. So people will pivot their company versus moving to Bay Area or moving to Kendall Square in Boston or something like that. And, and that's good and bad. The way we're going to solve if you asked me three years ago, the way we're going to solve that problem is we're going to have more companies start. We're going to have more companies succeed and more companies fail. That's going to create the infrastructure new companies can move into. And it's going to create the, uh, the conduit to investors. So they understand how to invest in biotech, which largely for the large part, most of them did not in the past. A lot of the money in Austin has come from uh, tech and energy. And you know, with a lot of the internet startups, people are used to revenue before they'll invest in it. That doesn't happen in biotech to, for the most part. You know, a lot of times the, the, the timeline from um, idea to uh, revenue is often the order of a decade or more. So, you know, it's, it's a different investment model and, and not for everybody. So it, it's been difficult. So fast forward to now, before the pandemic, we started having some venture firms move to Austin. And in the pan- pandemic, we've had a lot more interest. So two things happen. Uh, one is people will, um, were more open to conversations over Zoom. And um, so, so money flowed to areas that weren't in proximity, which is generally the, the standard way it's done. Um, number two, uh, just kind of with, with the acceleration we had before the pandemic and a lot of the responses that we've seen here in Austin, things have just kind of converged. So we ended up with enough of a critical mass to, I think, really cause the funding to turn around. We're getting those second stages, B rounds or C rounds coming into companies, which we really didn't have in the past, uh, or they were few and far between. And so people are getting used to it. And I think that's helpful. The thing's gonna happen going into the future though, is a lot of these companies that do succeed and stay here, they're likely gonna invest in the same thing because they understand it very well. So I really think we are at that inflection point or a little bit past that inflection point, And we're gonna see the results over the years coming forward. Well, and I think what's interesting, right, life science, just using that as our broad-based term, what falls underneath that is so diverse, right? You have everything from your classic therapeutics and diagnostics to now, as we mentioned earlier, kind of telehealth and the enterprise software companies that power that, which look a lot like classic enterprise software companies, all the way to, you know, the industrial biomanufacturing kind of stuff. So I think that's interesting to see. One is we've had a lot, to your point, a lot of companies either moving here or or funds moving here or raising new funds. I mean, based on my last math, there's about a billion dollars that have been raised just in the last nine months that has either a focus on life science or touching it. And then some of the established firms too are starting to, you know, either dabble more or expand their thesis a little bit. You know, as we said, the kind of the big software funders you're kind of seeing like, you know, I say like Wheel and Silverton, right? Like, so Wheel is a, you know, it's a telehealth, uh, I'd say infrastructure play, right? Being able to help uh, out those kind of clinics to move into telehealth. So it acts like an enterprise software company. And so Silverton, which focuses a lot more on that, obviously, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they led the round or they were at least part of the round. So I think that's 
kind of an interesting case as well. And then I think we're seeing a lot more people just kind of move here, right? A lot more fun. I mean, the amount of funds that have moved has just been continuously increasing. And it's a good thing. Um, You know, about six or seven years ago, I crashed a Life Science Angel Network meeting in the Bay Area. And they, they fund a lot of the early angel investment of the um, life science sector there. And at the end of some presentations, they were lamenting a little bit about what they had to pay for these companies. You know, the, the supply and the demand curve there was inverted from what it was here in Austin at the time. So they were paying high valuations to be able to get in. Um, we had the exact opposite problem here. We had very little investment and we had a lot of people want, with, with good companies wanting investment. So I had to talk with them and it became fairly clear what the problem was really quickly. And that was that trust conduit that I mentioned briefly earlier. So, you know, investors want to be able to look, see, and feel the companies they're working with. They don't want to travel far for board meetings uh, and a bunch of other things. But if we have a conduit of trust through a partner of theirs in the area or something like that, uh, we do better. It's a lot easier to create those um, conduits of trust if they are local. So now the fact that we're seeing this, I think it can only help. Yeah. And I think part of making it local, right, is we're either creating new or we're trying to pull in new kind of companies having them move here. I see similar to other industries, there's, you know, there's been an active effort to kind of recruit and foster life science in Texas. And I've, I've known of programs such as CPRIT, the Emerging Technology Fund that have been deployed at the state level. Can you talk a little bit about like what they are and what's the output been of these kind of programs? Yeah, yeah. So in general, you're right. Texas has had a hard time competing kind of on the national stage uh, for some of these companies. So some of the efforts that went into that, the Emerging Technology Fund, um, which was in the early mid-2000s, um, came up. And it was a fund, it was kind of like a, the venture arm of the state is the way I would describe it. And they invested in things that, that otherwise might not be investable to try to create that uh, um, ecosystem here in Texas. They were not specific to biotech. However, a lot of their funds went to biotech companies. It's closed down and it's not no longer investing in things. But one of the very last investments that came out of that was um, a, a group that was run by uh, Austin Community College called the um, Austin Bioscience Incubator. And it is it was the first uh, wet lab for rent available in Central Texas, period. We had none of it before then. Hmm. So wow. um, prior to 10 years ago, if you wanted to start a life science company, you had to hack together a wet lab. Or you had to go, you know, you had to build one and get the funding necessary, which funders don't like to fund infrastructure before you even test the concept, right? So it's very difficult at that time to start something that required that. Uh, they opened that up, and 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 it was immediately a success. This was formed at the at old mall building that uh, went bankrupt at one point in time, and the community college bought it out. So they made an old department store a wet lab. So it's it's kind of interesting. It kind of fits into that. Um, Austin weirdness type of thing that some people like talking about. CPRIT um, is the Cancer Prevention and Research Institute of Texas. They started off as a $3 billion fund looking to make Texas the best place in the world for for cancer research. And the money went into um, startup ideas. It went into um, getting companies through some of the initial trials so they would become more fundable and and, uh, more more growing. They also brought in some uh, world-class experts to the university systems. And they continue to do that. They raised another $3 billion, um, or we're paying for another $3 billion as taxpayers. But I, I do think that this um, organization is doing a lot of good. And it's actually part of a conversation of a lot of, uh, that I have with a lot of companies that are planning on or thinking about moving to Texas. It's interesting, right? So I didn't realize that the, the ACC Bioscience Incubator was kind of part out of the, um, the Emerging Technology Fund. 
what we were seeing a lot, obviously that was, you know, you said the first wet lab, but now we have new institutions coming up. You have Dell Medical School, you have new organizations like uh, TexGHS. They're all kind of more life science focused. Even you said like, you know, BioAustin is, is evolving itself. So mm-hmm. how do you see this kind of changing landscape with these new sort of supportive institutions? Oh, I think it's great. Um, I mean, and, and it's ironic that Austin, as big as it is, did not have a medical school five years ago um, or six years ago. I forget the exact time, but the um, but we needed it and we've got it now and it's doing some great things. You got to realize Dell Med is the first med school that's uh, been created at a large university, a tier one university in I think 40 years. So if you look back at it, really is since the first PCs were available, there hasn't been a medical school created at a tier one university. So, you know, they plan on, on um, taking advantage of that. And, that. and I think they do. It's definitely helpful to have them here. And, you know, Texas GHS, that's, we've, that formed last year as a result of the pandemic. And the idea was to really create um, connections and collaborations to create um, products and services from Texas companies to help the world. And uh, it was really spawned out of um, a group called Pandemic Tech and Austin Technology Incubator. ATI is part of the University of Texas. It's the, um, I think, the first incubator out of a university ever created. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they've been around for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's a good group and it incubates companies in a number of sectors, including biotech. Uh, Lisa McDonald um, runs biotech sector there, and she's running the Texas GHS group now as well. You know, we've worked with them a good bit to help uh, bring the companies in, vet the companies, and really we make connections and help companies succeed in the space. Well, we've, you've given us an amazing overview of these last 20 years and how the, the, the healthcare and life sciences sector have grown in Austin. But I want to turn and look a little bit towards the future. Today, what do you see are the challenges that the life sciences sector faces as we go forward? Well, you know, there, with any company, there's challenges. Um, in life sciences, it's made more difficult just because of the capital infrastructure. You need a lot of times to test your hypotheses and the fact that we're dealing with people's lives and we've got to do it right. You don't have the chance to make a mistake. Um, these will always be kind of challenges in the area, but kind of specifically in Austin, um, you know, we do still have a need for more wet lab space. We have a need for uh, companies staying here, surviving exiting and reinvesting. We need to create, you know, we, we need to add churn to this and we need to, to have uh, the success breed success and have that expertise as well to where people that have been there and done that and figure out how to get through the system can advise the companies that are starting up and really make it powerful. You know, I, I think we can compete and win even against the Bay Area, against Boston, against a lot of areas. I just don't know where we're going to do that. Again, we're so diverse right now. We're a blank slate. And I, I love that about it right now. Uh, to see where we go is going to be very interesting. So some other, other challenges, I think, is just making it easier for these companies to start and, and try their ideas out. Anything that will rise the tide for all people in this space, I think, would be helpful. And that could be, again, from infrastructure to, um, to incentives to, to about anything. Uh, right now, the, the incentives related to biotech are really more economic incentives to bring large industry to Austin or to Texas in general. I like to see that change a little bit. Um, and I've had conversations w- uh, about this in the past, but I like to see this change to instead of bringing others in, let's help the companies that are already here 
thrive and stay and, and, you know, build it here, keep it here, make it work. It's really interesting because the concept of that gap in the middle from the young companies who grow and then they're acquired or they move, whether it's to be closer to money or closer to whatever. And then the large companies that are attracted back in is one that we've seen in, in other locations and in other industries. So uh, clearly uh, it's an issue that we need to, to pay attention to. We always ask our guests one final question and I will put it to you, Scott, what's next Austin? Well, a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, I would say that um, it's going to be, it's hard to say what's next. Um, what we do to help that next is, is kind of another question. Personally, I would like to have an effect on this. Healthcare is fundamentally backwards in some ways. You know, you, you get broken, you become a patient. You, at that point in time, if you're lucky, they fix you, more likely they sustain you in some way. And then at the very end of that process, you find out how much it costs. This is backwards. This is backwards. You know, there's a lot unknown about healthcare, about biology in general. Um, but some things work and some things don't. But the, you add to that the inconvenience of healthcare. If I want to set up an appointment, I've got to go in. And if I do it electronically, it's typically going in and saying, hey, I would like an appointment. This is a time that might work or this is a time range. Then they call you back to set it up when you don't have your calendar in front of you. All these inconveniences related to healthcare, I think, could be changed. And I think that that is one of the early, one of the many early areas Austin could thrive. We have a great computational um, community here, both with internet startups, with algorithm, with AI. I think that could be part of the way to, to accelerate some of this, but also the classical life sciences. There's a lot of pharma development. There's a lot of delivery device development and a bunch of other things that could really work together. The more we're able to bring these diverse groups together, the more we can solve problems with perspectives from different industries. And I think since we are not set in the way we do things, since we're not set in the way this is how a company should look in Austin, I'm hoping that the venture community and others together will realize that and allow us to kind of start with a blank slate with a lot of expertise and solve problems. I think we'll, that, that will be what really makes Austin take off and uh, will allow us to be kind of a global leader in that space. Scott Collins, President, BioAustin CTX. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.